Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, as the seasons change, what should you do with the old clothes you don't want? We have to interface with the idea that um, once you put a physical object into the world, it's not easy to take it out. But first, it's our chance to kick back and relax after another weird week with us. This week, we have WBEZ Metro reporter Adora Namigade. Adora, hello. Hello. Also here is Lauren Ober, host of the new podcast, The Loudest Girl in the World. Lauren, hi. Hi. Yay. Okay, so I want to start with this ukulele situation because last week, Guitar Center teamed up with Southwest Airlines and they gave a free ukulele and a lesson to everyone on a flight from Long Beach to Honolulu. Uh, Adora, is this your worst nightmare? Yeah, that's not okay. Um, (laughs) It's a hard no for me. I'm trying to nap. I'm trying to read a book. Yeah, this is, it's like almost a six hour flight. I feel like this is one where if they did it like after the second beverage service with like an hour left of the flight, maybe that would be (laughs) like slightly less of a hostage situation. What do you think, Lauren? You know, I, I, my gut is like, no, hard no, 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 thank you. However... Now that I'm giving it some consideration, because uh-huh. I hate group fun. Like, I hate enforced <laughs> fun because this is somebody thinking, this is going to be great fun. And what they're mm. not taking into consideration is that there are many people on that flight for whom this would not be fun yeah. and it would yeah. be their worst nightmare. But I'm like, would I enjoy that? And I think I might because I don't, I am very like musically disinclined. I Mm. don't play any instruments. And so somebody handing me an instrument and then telling me how to play it and I can be absolutely terrible because everyone else is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And you have literally nothing else to do because you're on an airplane. No, I have nothing else to do. Well, I have many shows to watch. Sure. Sure. But I think giving, someone license to be terrible in a group Mm. setting is kind of fun six hours no in the last hour yeah right yeah (laughs) that seems like a really nice can you imagine if they were like if the captain came on like like we have one hour left (sighs) like hey everyone i've got a special treat for you you know and then you were like oh my god this is the best flight ever but six hours no <laughs> I do think ukulele, like in terms of all the instruments they could teach someone on a flight, you seems pretty innocuous. Like, like bagpipes would definitely be just a hell. Oh my gosh, Greta, that is yeah, that is significantly worse. <laughs> wow, significantly. Wow. Why are you going to disrespect my people like that? You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. I'm wondering about who is giving the instruction because yeah. if it's some mm. like dodo who learned it over the pandemic, yeah. like. No, thank you. I do feel like this is when I should tell you, Lauren, that I did take ukulele lessons during the <laughs> pandemic. 
Oh, boy. Are you good? You should have told me this in advance before I stuck. It's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm basic. I'm also self-aware, so it's fine. Okay, word. So you're like at hot cross buns recorder level, but equivalent to yeah. ukulele. Yeah, pretty oh my much. God, That's recorder. Cool. I love that. That is a deep cut. Deep cut. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I respect the ukulele as uh as like sort of gateway drug to the guitar. <laughs> a real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been a real treat. It's fun. It's ridiculous. You know, of all the things I could have done over the pandemic, I think it was fine. Yeah, I just moped and <laughs> cried and and fretted and bit off all my nails. I like mm. did nothing productive. Mm. You know, a ukulele yeah. seems great. Well, it was a lot more fun than ancient Greek. I'll tell you that. That was not my best choice. <laughs> wow, were were you? <laughs> Were you trying to read like Odysseus in the original or something? I mean, we, Why? We, we tried to go through the first paragraph. It was brutal, Lauren. It was so it was so hard and so God, boring. Were you productive? Really I mean, truly. I, I mean, was I like, don't know. can I perfect my dog walking? You know, like that was the <laughs> level that I was at. Set. Not really. No. Nope. <laughs> Not really. <Okay. laughs> so another story that caught our attention this week is about ants. A group of German scientists just published a study about how many ants there are on Earth. And the number is way bigger than previously calculated. A lot of people are calling it unimaginable. It's like 20 quadrillion, which doesn't even seem like a real number. Um, Do you believe it, Lauren? Do you think about ants a lot? I don't think about ants at all, but last <laughs> night I was at dinner with some friends. And we were eating outside, like it was like a table that had sort of decorative holes in it, and there were mm. ants just pouring out. Oof. And we were at a nice restaurant, and it was like, okay, Ooh. like this is our life now. And and no, so th- so that does not surprise me in the slightest. Like when we ruin this planet, like they're just gonna it's reclaim gonna the earth. But I guess you know you got to think like. You're, there is somebody out there whose job is counting ants. I know. I know. I, it's like I, I'm all about scientific discovery and supporting folks who do it. But part of me is sort of like, what's the point of counting if the number is just like incomprehensibly large anyway? I know what you mean. I was wondering that, too. Like, why? Like, do is there a reason we need to know this? And I was failing to find that reason, you know, they can yeah. give me a good solid reason, like why it's really necessary to get that exact count. I'm here for it. Mm. But that wasn't clear. It is true novelty. I mean, don't tell any scientists that like, let's just <laughs> keep that between us. Mm. But it is like knowledge for knowledge sake. That is just ab- like you will talk yeah. about this with every friend you you see. You're like, did you know that there are more ants on this planet that you can count? Like that is we're talking about it now. Like clearly yeah. it was worth That's a good point. It was worth the pursuit. Um, and also it's like a fun fact like say it to any kid and their minds will just mm. be blown you know <laughs> yeah that's a really good point it's funny because i don't know i can barely wrap my head around like you know the my student loan debt let alone this number of ants you know but what if even every ant paid one penny towards your student <laughs> loan debt We'd like you'd have, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have that yeah. cleared yeah, in totally. 32 seconds <laughs> and she would be able to make a portfolio of assets are you kidding me <laughs> and assets that's amazing um okay so the last story i want to talk about is about 90s fashion rami hunt revson who popularized the scrunchie 
died earlier this month at the age of 78. Lauren, when is the last time you wore a scrunchie? I know exactly when. Really? Okay. Yeah, of course. First of all, I had short hair for a very long time. Yeah, and then you did. the pandemic, I let it grow out. But like, mm-hmm. I still don't quite know what to do with long hair. So maybe I do need a scrunchie. But mm-hmm. I remember the last time I religiously wore one was in college in the 90s. And okay, I was an athlete in college and I had a superstition about a particular scrunchie that I had to wear every single game. Mm, And every single game, there's not one photo of me playing where I'm not wearing this ridiculous hair accessory. Are you going to describe the scrunchies to what color? Do you know it was so basic? It was it was truly basic. I mean it was like it was like an A crew colored (laughs) scrunchie that I probably found on a friend's floor but like one time I wore it and we won and then I was like Mm. this is my lucky scrunchie (laughs) you know and so it was like came with me to every game you know I like probably never washed it which is revolting. Mm -hmm. It was it was a perfectly useful um, uh, accessory. No, not a useful. <laughs> no, not a useful su- <laughs> superstition. We did not win because of this. Oh, okay, good. That's really good to know. But so I, you know, but I have been marveling at people sort of bringing it back and wearing mm. it with like wearing them with like gusto, yeah, like flair, just unabashed flair. Yeah, I'm not sure they really fit with my vibe, but I'm. I, I don't know. I love, especially when people wear them on their wrists. I do think there is something just like very charming and ridiculous about that. Do you remember when Jason Momoa wore a scrunchie on his wrist to an award show? Oh, my God. Like, no. It was like a velvet. It matched his outfit. Ooh. And everyone was like, oh, my God. Like, look That's at this hot. hot ass man wearing a scrunchie <laughs> on his wrist. And I was like, we've we've jumped the shark now. Oh my like, God. <laughs> that's ridiculous. You, I, you didn't know I knew so much about scrunchies, did and you? This is amazing. Right, you remember <laughs> the last celebrity sightings and everything. That's it's true. It's true. What's wrong with me? What, uh, Adora, do you have hair long enough to wear a scrunchie? Yeah. Do you yes, have hair at it, all? I can't see you. I'm wearing a satin scrunchie as we speak. Uh-huh. I have velvet scrunchies. I have corduroy scrunchies. Uh-huh. I have Adora. Yeah. I'm a fan. Wow. I'm a major I fan. I love it. Wow. I love it so much. Do you ever wear them on your wrist when they're not in your hair? I'll wear them on my wrist if it happens to match my outfit. You know what I mean? Ooh. Like, I wouldn't plan it. So it's an accessory. It's just like a bangle. Exactly. And it's just like mm. casual because it really adds to the like athlete off duty chic look. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I have money for a gym membership and I clearly go, but I don't spend all my time there. Look, like that's. What the scrunchie on the arm says. But also it means that you're ready. Like at any point mm. I could be called on to do something where I need to put up my hair. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, like I'm ready for action mm-hmm. is what that is signifying to me. Absolutely. Well, in the 90s are definitely coming back. I mean, Adora, it was funny to hear you mention corduroy because I mean, it's and like the wide leg pants. I feel yep. like the crop Everything's shirts, back. it's all the ribbed stuff. It's all there. But doesn't everything have a, you know, a, a sort of a. It comes back every 20 years. Oh, yeah. So. No, we're on the cycle for sure. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I think I'm just disgruntled about it because it like took such a huge leap for me to get to like skinny jeans in 2005 or mm. whatever that is. And now I'm like, I do I have to really make more changes in my life? You know, I'm too old for that. Right. I feel like now, though, all the cycles happen at the same time. Like there's really no <laughs> significant trends. So like you can mm. do whatever you want. I feel like. I think I, you, I think also you can always do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> Very and, true. And, 
and you for can the be record. totally fine. You can just you could wear the same thing for forty years, <laughs> and people will just know oh, that that's Adora's amazing. look. I love it. <laughs> so, Adora, is there anything for you from the nineties that you're excited about? Is it the is it the crushed velvet mini dress? I could see you rocking that. Ooh, you know that sounds cute, honestly. So, I feel like I'm also not really with it when it comes to what is actually in style like i thrift everything you know what i mean and Mm, i'm just like does this make me look amazing and then i buy it does this make me look amazing (laughs) what what a great maxim like a personal maxim does this make me look amazing thank you so much for respecting that yeah i want to feel good you know well lauren adora thank you both so much for coming on this was a delight what a pleasure thank you so much yeah thank you for having us you are both amazing well at least we know adora looks amazing (laughs) (laughs) in just a minute what to do with the clothes you don't want anymore Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's a question. When is the last time you cleaned out your closet? What'd you do with all the clothes that you decided you didn't want anymore? There are a lot of different things you can do with old clothes. You could donate them. You could try to sell them on a site like Poshmark or just throw them away. But what is the best thing to do? Amanda Mull is a staff writer for The Atlantic and recently wrote an article called Seriously, What Are You Supposed to Do With Old Clothes? Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So what was going on in your closet when you decided to write this article? It had reached a point where I could no longer ignore the fact that I needed to clean it out. Um, (laughs) I ran out of hangers. The problem is not the number of hangers I have. It is the, the amount of clothing. So my dresser drawers were full. The storage under my bed was full. The hangers were full. Um, something had to give and it was my clothes. So I want to start with donating clothes because it's something I do a lot. I think a lot of people do, partly because there's sort of like this implied virtuousness. And and it's so easy to just like fill a bag with not only clothes, but like whatever, you know, old kitchen stuff you're not using and just like drop it off at a Goodwill or Salvation Army and be like, oh, you know, you can pat yourself on the back. But that's not quite the like way it actually works, right? What actually happens when you drop off a bag of stuff at a place like Goodwill? There's a lot of things that could potentially happen to your donations. If you're lucky, if you turn over good stuff and it gets seen by somebody who wants it quickly enough, uh, it might actually get bought and somebody might wear it and the thing that you intended to happen will happen. Um, That happens in a relatively small number of uh, donation scenarios, though. These stores are understandably a little bit cagey about what happens to their inventory after that. But Mm. usually with Goodwill in particular, if something doesn't sell in their stores within four weeks, usually it goes to an outlet. And if it doesn't sell at the outlet, which is usually a pretty quick turnover operation, then it is sold to a recycler or somebody who uh, takes it offshore uh, to other countries, to lower income countries. And then what happens after that is sort of opaque. 
it's not really clear exactly how much of it is going to end up in a landfill, but a lot of it is going to end up overseas. And then once it ends up overseas, thrift corporations can say, you know, we've done our due diligence. What you mm-hmm. then see, though, is that in a lot of these other countries where where things are sent on for recycling or resale is is a lot of textile waste that has piled up um, in landfills in those countries. So a lot of it just ends up getting thrown away. Um, up to 80% of the stuff that's donated to these types of thrift stores ends up not being sold to an end user. That was a shocking number for me to see. Like I figured it was, I don't know what percentage I thought. I definitely thought it was much less than 80% that, you know, wouldn't get just like passed on from Goodwill. That's wild. Right, right. I think that it is in the best interest of these thrift corporations to give people that impression. They're playing a numbers game. They want as many donations and as much stuff as possible because that increases the likelihood that they're going to get stuff that they can sell. That's actually good. Right. So another thing you talk about in this article is trying to sell your clothes on apps like Depop or Poshmark, which I think is also really interesting because I don't know, it's sort of it's like you're doing a thing that makes you feel like you're doing something good for the environment because you're finding a new home for your clothes. You're maybe making some money, which is nice because, you know, maybe you're trying to sell something that you spent some money on in the first place anyway. But I mean, it's also not actually efficient for a closet clean out. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's still also just feeding into the cycle of, you know, like chasing the next fashion trend. Right, right. What I ended up doing was um, selling a lot of my uh, extra stuff on Poshmark. Mm -hmm. On one hand, that was very effective for me. I made a decent chunk of change um, and moved through uh, over the course of of several months. I started in February and I've still got a bag of clothes. Right. That's my thing is like once I I I don't want to look at it. I don't want it in my apartment, you know. Right. I want it gone. You have to take photos of everything. You have to make a listing for each individual item. Um, You have to describe it. Sometimes you have to give measurements depending on what kind of item it is. Um, And then when somebody buys it, you have to print the shipping label. You have to package it up. You have to, in my case, walk it to the post office. I live in Brooklyn, so it wasn't Mm -hmm. a a driving situation for me. Uh Um, I have walked to the post office in many different kinds of weather in the past six months. (laughs) (laughs) I've sold, I think, over a hundred listings. So I've, you know, taken that walk a bunch of times. It feels nice to to pass things on to people who will actually use them. The sources I spoke with who, who study um, clothing production and, and clothing markets all basically agreed that if you're finding even like alternative ways to participate in fashion as it is now, uh, which is an industry that it sort of encourages constant novelty and constant turnover. Thrives in your on wardrobe. planned obsolescence. Yes, yeah. thrives on planned obsolescence and wants you to constantly have new things and discard old things in some way. Then um, apps that make that like slightly more sustainable. Right, justifiable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. Apps that make that justifiable are not a long-term solution to um, the sort of awful situation of overproduction and textile waste that we've gotten ourselves into globally. Mm -hmm. So one thing you mentioned, which I am not familiar with, is textile recycling. You can like ask for a bag to get sent to your house and you can fill it up and ship it back, right? Yes. A lot of municipalities in the United States, um, larger ones especially, uh, have textile recycling programs that are just not well-known or or particularly well-publicized. I live in New York City, uh, the New York City Department of Sanitation will take textile waste for free. Um, huh. 
I, I have no idea where I'm supposed to drop it off, but this, this program exists. I'm going to, I'm going to learn about it. Um, okay, great. <laughs> yes. Um, and municipal programs like that are pretty common in the United States. Um, but you do have to f- figure out what qualifies, there's wh- where you work, take yeah. your stuff. Yeah. There's, there's legwork. It's not, you know, as with all public programs, the, the, the service is important, but you're not going to find out about it in an Instagram ad. Whereas other types of uh, textile recycling, you might because they're done for profit. There's lots of textile recyclers um, and some clothing brands that offer textile recycling as sort of like a sideline business. Um, And that's where you get the companies that will uh, send you a like a postage paid bag. Um, You fill it up, send it back, and they promise that none of it will go into a landfill. Um, The sources I spoke to were a little bit skeptical about that claim Hmm. because Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, textile recycling is really, really difficult. So, you know, a plain cotton t-shirt that's 100% cotton is going to be like your best case scenario for textile recycling. The further you deviate from that, when you get into man-made materials, when you get into um, things with lots of little bits and pieces, uh, the woman I spoke to, um, she gave bras as an example. And when you think about like the average oh, underwire God. bra, like there's, <laughs> there's probably five different fabrics in that there are yeah, I don't know what's metal pieces there. there and take and disassembling that is a really labor intensive process. That's yeah. not something that you can just throw in a machine and the machine knows how to do it neatly along the seams. Well, that's great. For you. I feel like that's just another reason to stop wearing underwire bras, which, you know, yeah, you as know? if we needed more anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when it goes well, that stuff turns into insulation. It turns into stuffing for other products. Um, in, in a very small number of cases, those products can be broken down and respun into new fabric, although it's going to be lower quality than the original. Right. Well, no, I mean, it makes sense. So in the end, to what extent do you think we should just be buying less stuff? Like that's kind of the solution to a lot of this, right? The biggest takeaway that I had from this story is that it is in the best interest of corporations who sell clothes for us to think of clothing as disposable or at least as easily mm. mutable. Um, it, and it is in the best interest of basically no one else to think of clothing like that. We have to interface with the idea that um, once you put a physical object into the world, it's not easy to take it out. And taking it out will cause some problems. It will emit carbon. It will end up in um, in a river in a poor country for somebody else to deal with. Mm it will cumulatively lead to a lot of waste because most of the textile waste in in the world is not used clothing. It's clothing that was never sold to begin with. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge problem with Zara, H&M. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They, they discard millions and millions and millions of garments per year that they never sell because in order to uh, satisfy as many people as possible, as often as possible, something new to buy, you have to really overproduce, which is right. where we get back into the idea that we have to undo our belief that these things are mutable and disposable and they can really be discarded safely and, and virtuously because that, that belief is what fuels the business model that is doing most of the harm. So we have to change how we interact with our clothing, with our wardrobes. Uh, we have to probably learn how to you know, sew a button. We have to go get a pair of shoes sold instead of just buying a new pair. We don't get anywhere without sort of a rejection of this system. Well, that is fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing some of your expertise. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
All right, that's it for this week. Don't forget our book club discussion of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is coming up on Tuesday, the last Tuesday of the month. And then the next Tuesday after that, you will hear an author interview with Celeste Ng because her book, Our Missing Hearts, is the October book club selection. I cannot wait for y'all to read it. Maggie Sivet builds our newsletter every week. You can sign up for it at wbez.org slash nerdataf. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, and Brendan Banazak is our executive producer. See you next week! Woo! Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.